I knew it was monumental quality and white glove service. So I came back into the business and said, hey, if, if, if there's an opportunity, I'd love to learn. Still spent some time in the finishing department, but mostly on the front end, working very closely with my father, estimating service, learning the, the flow of a project from beginning during design through to completion. And then over the years, kind of became the chief estimator, which means you got to know the whole process every step of the way. And I learned from amazing mentors here in the company along the way. Welcome to Friends of Build Magazine. I'm your host, Ted Bainbridge. I've been traveling the world and working in publications for 30 years. In 2016, we launched our first issue of Build Magazine, a publication dedicated to high-end home construction, renovation, and the innovative experts that make this possible. This podcast was created to have some fun and explore those who have taken on the challenge of building luxury homes in demanding locations. From navigating logistics and construction to excavating the earth, we want to learn more about these people and how their projects became cover-worthy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of Friends Build Magazine. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and I'm excited to be here with Matt Riley. It's my pleasure to be invited. Thank you. Of Thomas Riley Artisan Guild. And you guys really are the big kahuna here in Naples, and we're excited about it. You just took us through your shop. It is spectacular. So tell us about, I met you, you're already a client. I met you at a party at... Naples flooring a couple of years ago. And as soon as I saw you, you just, your smile lights up a room as I was mentioning it to you earlier. And it was like, okay, this is a dude I can probably hang with. It's probably because your smile lit up the room already, <laughs> but thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah, no. Yeah. And what your dad started and now you and your brother have taken over is impressive. And what we're just talking about off air is it's not easy to take a generational business and build on and succeed. So Give us a little history on your dad and then your vision. Well, lucky for my brother, Ben, and I, our parents moved here to Naples from New York in 1975. So we were fortunate enough to be born and raised in paradise. Yeah. And um, you mentioned earlier he's a legend, and he really is. He is a legend. In, to me and to us, he is, but he's our dad, you know. And uh, he's the most humble guy I've ever met. That's what I think adds to his legend as well. And his, his uh, mission for this company was to create a place where brilliantly talented people could come together and do what they love to do as much of the time as possible. And he was the orchestra leader. And he is not a master craftsman in, in the traditional sense of the word um, as a fine artisan, but he is a master finisher. And he learned that through doing what he had to do, right? And um, but going back to the beginning, he, they came down here in the mid-70s, and the way he says it, he, uh, I mean, he loves food. And he worked at his uh, aunt's deli in New York for like six months. Figured he knew everything he needed to know about it, so he moved here and opened a gourmet wine and cheese shop called Say Cheese. And, uh, Which is a brilliant name. 
brilliant name, <laughs> hilarious, says a lot about him. You know, he takes things seriously, but never too seriously. And uh, if you always got to be able to laugh about it. And then after that business and having, having fun with it, eventually sold it. Long story short, he partnered with his best friend who was a master finisher, serving the same clients, totally different industry, but it was serving discerning clients, lived on the beach and uh, wanted fine things. And so that's how he ended up in the world of fine woodworking was by partnering with his best friend who was a master artisan. And that, and he is who he really learned what true artistry looks like from and, and how artists and artisans think and understanding that their focus is on their, they live for their craft and their trade. And he, as a caretaker and an orchestra leader, um, and a, he's, he's a consummate servant, even to us as his family. And he created, if I fast forward 10 years of learning the finishing business, Naples started to then explode. And he had some opportunities to, from existing clients to, that said, hey, we love what you've done for us for finishing, but we're building a new house. We bought a new condo. We'd like for you to find somebody to build the cabinets and you put the finishes on them and you manage the installation. And that lit a fire in his eye. And he started Thomas Riley Artisans Guild. At the time, the Artisans Guild of Naples. And the mission was to create monumental quality with white glove service for every single client, every single time. But the most important thing about it to me is that the artisans, there's an apostrophe in it and it's after the S because it wasn't his place. It was, maybe he was the namesake of it, but I love that. it was about the team and nothing's changed. The mission he wrote on a napkin hasn't changed in 30 years and the mentality and the, the culture of this company even as we've grown, the roots are still the same. And so that's what we got to learn from growing up. And uh, I mean, I could obviously talk about him for, for days. And fortunately, we created a plan for him. He worked since he was, I think, 12 years old. And in 2019, we, we set a target for him to retire on his 65th birthday. And uh, we missed it by about nine months. But he, they moved. And, um, they moved, moved to North Carolina. Love it near Asheville, like everybody else. Wow. <laughs> a great area. So we, we have, it's gotta be hard to move after all those years and all those friends. Well, that's funny you say that. Cause when they come down and visit, I have to schedule time with them because <laughs> everybody wants to have dinner with Tommy because he's, he's just such a dear man and, and, uh, the whole family. So, so that's like a kind of a long, long story shortened to how we ended up in this world and, and how Ben and I got to grow up in Naples, Florida. And we, I think we grew up at the perfect time here because we, we experienced it before it is what it is now. It was still a pretty podunk town in, in the early and late seventies, early eighties. You know, it's just it shocking to think that Naples ever was a podunk town. And I look well, at dirt roads. It was. Oh yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm, you just took us on a tour of the facility, which is more than impressive. You said it's 45,000 square feet over three buildings. It's, it's, and it's super cool stuff. But I'm looking at the, the job that you did in the little cafe that says just cheese, which is not your typical lunch break room. It looks like you're walking into a deli in Brooklyn. 
And then you've got the pictures of your mom and dad, and your your dad's got his fraternity shirt on. Your mom's on his arm on on the uh, side of the on the arm of the chair. And I just look at it, and what struck me was not the bad hair, but how um, how it keeps you grounded. It keeps your roots. I love looking at those old pictures because as soon as we forget where we came from, we become self-important. We lose total grasp of reality. You're right. I think his fraternity shirt sums up those photos because he made it up. He didn't oh, go he to did? college and he wasn't in a fraternity. <laughs> so him and his best friend invented one. I won't tell you what the name of it was. Off air, we'll talk about that. Yeah, that really does sum them up. Yeah, everybody, like I said, everybody who talks about your dad, they just start to giggle and they go, Tommy is an incredible person. Well, he's a very hard worker. And, um, but ultimately, you know, we have core values around here. And one of them is love and kindness. It's stated, it's printed all over every office in this place. And ultimately, we come here to work hard and we have to perform to put food on the table. But you can, there's never a, a time when you shouldn't be loving and kind, whether it's at home or whether it's in business. Just because it's business doesn't mean you, you have to leave, check that at the door when you leave your house in the right. morning. And that's why we're still here. It's a tough business. Every business is tough, but we've all been through ups and downs. But when things get tough, we bond together as a family and tighten our belts and do whatever it takes to, yeah. to get through it. And that comes down to the, the culture that not just him, he, he may have started it, but everybody here has perpetuated it for the last 30 years. And if they don't, it, tip, it typically kind of weed themselves out. I always find it talking with people like yourself, and I've been fortunate, we've got incredible clients thanks to Build Magazine and, and who has put faith in us. People like you, um, we did one with a gentleman, Justin Ford's, Ford's experience earlier today, and he's 28 years old. And this guy is, I mean, he is unbelievable. What a talent and, and so wise. And he's 28. Yeah, he's a smart kid. That's for sure. So I, I, I keep look, forgetting he's a kid. Well, he's 28. I mean, yeah. it, it's it, anyway, my, my point is, is that I love the tough times because they cause you to use your brain and figure things out. When things are easy, like right now, things are so good for so many people, their biggest problem is getting product. But it's, there's, their bank accounts are healthy. Nobody's starving. Nobody's worried about, um, you know, with our clientele, nobody's worried about their next job. Most of our clients are booked out for three years. But it's those tough times that make you focus and go, okay, how do we figure this out? You're right. And they make the best stories. Well, they definitely make you stronger. And uh, we have some brilliant clients who are amazing mentors to us that just took to, took to Tommy and, and this whole family. And um, one of them always reminds me that it's, it's easy to run your business in the tough times because you know the decisions you have to make. When times are good, it's very easy to slack off and to lose the, the laser focus that you have when things are tough. So it's important to, we try to remind ourselves to take that same focus during the tough that we had during tougher times, cyclical times, okay. and apply them at all times. Still with love and kindness, of course, but you know, don't, don't, don't get fat. My dad always says, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. Yeah, that's true. And our surroundings here, you come into this office, it's a beautiful table, but 
we get to build beautiful things, but I promise you our homes don't look like this. We're lucky enough to serve some of the wealthiest people on the planet that appreciate fine quality, but um, it, my home is different than the office. Let's put it that way. So, so it, and our, every mistake here is expensive. That tree only exists one time. If you miscut something, it doesn't, you don't remake it. Right. Definitely yeah. some humbling lessons in there. You have to, to wait another 50 years to create that. Or longer. <laughs> that that or masterpiece. Longer. Yeah. So what do you learn from your clients? You mentioned this one person, you're dealing with billionaires. What do you learn from them? Because they operate massive companies and you're fortunate enough to serve them and, and they obviously a take a shining question. from you. We are lucky enough being that we're based in Naples, Florida, even if we're doing projects around the country, a lot of them live here. And so because we are based here, we do get visits from a lot of the homeowners because our clients are interior designers, architects, and, and builders, but ultimately we're all serving the end user. And those are the, you know, people that have clearly done um, very well for themselves financially. And, but if you ask any of them in a million years, did you ever think that you'd have this kind of opportunity? You could almost not even finish asking the question before they say, never in a million years. They worked hard, but typically, especially in this town, there's a lot of uh, self-made Midwesterners that built mm -hmm. factories and, and employ tens of thousands of people. But they'll tell you that it was luck. There was luck involved. It's not all everything they've done. They worked hard. They did the blocking and tackling that it takes. But ultimately, um, you know, there's some luck there. So that's certainly one thing. It's interesting to hear from people that on, you read about them in the paper and you think they must have every, you know, must have had it all figured out, but right. they're just like everybody else, but they're, they're pretty, pretty smart, you know? And then also, um, I've, I probably learned a lot. We have one client, I'll give it to you after this, who, who's got his own book of just things, mantras and sayings that he's shared with us and, Certainly one of them is that the bitterness of poor quality workmanship lingers long after the sweetness of low price. And uh, the world we're in speaks to that. Um, but ultimately, all of our clients, they're, they're just like us. You know, they're good people. They've worked hard. They've been fortunate enough to, to, to financially succeed enough that they can afford a beautiful home and keep food on our table. But um, they care about the people that are doing the work for them. And they know that ultimately it comes down, whatever business they're in, it comes down to the people that are executing the work. And it's everybody's responsibility to maintain the company's culture and the quality and the service expectations, no matter what the business. I was always taught years ago in sales, you tell people, because the first thing when you're new into sales, and, and we all have something to sell, you could be a software engineer, you still have to sell yourself. You have to sell yourself to get a job. You have to sell yourself to get a date. I mean, you have to, we all are in sales. Constantly. And uh, so as I'm a greenhorn in sales and everybody goes, oh, Ted, you'll be great in sales. And it's like, I was scared to death of the client. And, they, and, and I think the number one objection is going to be price, which might be the first thing out of somebody's mouth, but it's not the main objection, not for a minute. And I always tell people there's three things. You can have the best quality, the best service, or the best price. You get two out of three. Which one do you want to pick? And, and we're in the process right now of building a house in Scottsdale, and this is the fourth house we've built. And 
I'm so glad we make decisions. I mean, we, you all ha- everybody has a budget. I mean, even the wealthiest people have a budget. You got to, otherwise it's going to get blown. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet, if you, if you just, after you've written the check, you don't want to be staring that, at that table or the cabinetry and having it annoy you for the next 10 years or however long you're in there. Just write a little bit bigger check, get it the way you want it done, and then sit back and enjoy it because we can justify everything. Let's just amortize it out. Well, it only costs us X number of dollars a year. Well, and you can't take it with you to the grave. No. But whether you're getting screwed for $5 or $500,000, it's the same feeling. Some of it's easier to recover from, but it is the exact same feeling. I wouldn't know about the the latter, but uh, I think we all know what it feels like to get, you know, get screwed. So when did you, you, you were an iron worker in Jacksonville and then you came back here. What did you learn from your experience in Jacksonville that you implemented when you can't, when your dad says, Hey, why don't you come back? Or maybe you well, said, I did hey, learn dad, that it's dad, very hot <laughs> in Florida in the summer to be sandblasting iron work in the shed. I knew kind of what I didn't want to do long-term, but. Well, that's actually, why that, you have no body fat is because obviously you sweated it all off. Yeah, it's still doing it. That experience um, was a company called Wonderland Products. They still exist, a, a team of unbelievably talented master metal workers. And I met them through the Artisans Guild. I, w- I was going to college in Jacksonville. And my dad knew of them because they worked on projects in Naples and said, hey, you ought to touch base with these guys. So I, I reached out to them and I was very grateful they gave me a job. And through college, I worked there and um, learned at the time about being a maker and to see some of these, even growing up here, I, this business really wasn't created as a full service fine woodworking company until I was in high school and then early college. So I didn't get to grow up on the fabrication side of things. I grew up in the finishing side, which was also a beautiful business. But to see these master metal workers creating and teaching me was really humbling, but also inspired me to, uh, to the world of making. And when I, I, I gr- thank them for actually creating the opportunity to even be part of this company because I came back to Naples from Jacksonville to do an install on a job in, uh, in Port Royal for Wonderland. And I came to the job and the Artisans Guild team was on the project. And you didn't know it? I didn't. I knew once I found out where we were going, I knew that, that it was an AG job. But I showed up and it was, I was welcomed with open arms. It was hugs from guys that had seen, watched me grow up and I kind of watched them grow up and I didn't know it at the time, but that's when I knew I wanted to, that my father and this team had creating some, created something special and I wanted to come back into this business someday. Looking back, I, that was a clear, definitive moment in my life. How old were you at the time? 19, maybe. Oh, okay. You were young. You were still in college. 20, 19, 20. I was in college. Okay. So I, learned, I got more out of that in college than I did everything else. Of course. But that was a really interesting experience to have. And, and it's fun to drive around Port Royal because I see product that I was able to make for an ironworking company there and to be grateful for it. But it reminds me of the time I had no clue. I mean, I grew up in this shop as a finisher and then cleaning it. I cleaned the shop, the woodworking shop, but I didn't know the significance that it was having on this town and 
that it certainly would be something that would be, would exist, you know, in, after 30 years. So it was interesting. Very fortunate. So you graduate from college and then do you come immediately home or just not, stay up not there? Not immediately. And... I stayed up there for maybe less than two years. And then I applied for a job here. And, uh, must've been a tough job application. <laughs> Did tough. you have to do interview a mission? Was, get... Interview was tough. <laughs> mission statement? Um, I knew that already. Um, I knew it was monumental quality and white glove service. So I came back into the business and said, Hey, if, if, if there's an opportunity, I'd love to, I'd love to learn. So then I came in, still spent some time in the finishing department, but mostly on the front end, working very closely with my father, estimating service, learning the, the flow of a project from, from beginning, meaning bef- during design through to completion. And then over the years, kind of became the chief estimator, which means you got to know the whole process every step of the way. And I learned from amazing mentors here in the company along the way. How hard is it to estimate a job? Because if you screw it up, it's expensive. Yep. You're, you're out of business. Yeah. It's delicate. I think being, because everything we do is a prototype. There are repeat functions, but we've, this table's only been made once. And we know all the steps that go into making the table. But we don't, every, every piece of wood is different. You can have different reactions. There's things that can go wrong. Ultimately, our clients are paying for monumental quality. So you have to estimate it, not just to build it. You have to estimate it to build it the best way, period, and the finest end result. So it's very easy to underestimate what it, takes to do it to that level. Um, I've done it for almost 18 years now. So now I can, and I learned from some of the best, you can almost take a set of plans and and weigh them and say, I think it's going to be about (laughs) this much. Then we put about 500 hours into bidding a job and only to find out you're within 10% of where you thought you were going to be at the beginning. But um, it can make or break the company. That's for sure. So it's a nerve wracking thing to do, but we have a team approach to it and we break it down. You take just like an elephant. How do you eat it? One bite at a time. Yep. Yep. You take a, a whole well home said. full of woodwork and you break it down into every item. And I just submitted a, a proposal yesterday and it's 800 line items. Each one of them getting priced individually. Uh, but the only way to know. 800? Yeah, just a full house full of stuff and every room's got crown base casing, doors, cabinets, ceiling details, you name it. Have you always been this detail oriented or did you have to learn it? Cause some people, I have people that do that cause I'm not, I'm not going to grind it out like that. I'm going to look at it. Well, there's definitely some days that I don't want to be here at nine o'clock at night, but <laughs> I just get so fixated on and things because party. and missing a party. Yeah. Uh, but that when we approach a job, as estimating, we're starting the, that's the project management process. It's the beginning of the project management. So I'm approaching every job as if we're going to get the job. So that when we do get it, I just hand a silver platter to the, the team uh, after, of course, more thorough review. But I guess I probably have been that detail oriented. I was always thorough with my homework. If you go back to just what's the earliest memories. Okay. Uh, so I guess so. I just didn't know what it was going to apply to. The last podcast, the guy got arrested when he was 13. So what do I know? That's pretty early. <laughs> I probably could have. So 
So how many jobs, I'm just sitting here thinking and listening to you, how many jobs do you estimate that you don't get the business? And that's got to be frustrating. That is. If you're putting it's hundreds of hours into it. Very time consuming. It depends on the year. Depends on timing. It could be a one year, I think we had a capture rate that was almost 10%. That's it? And another year we could have an 80% capture rate. So it all depends. What's depends. the difference? And don't tell me 70%. Um, I get that part, but what's... what's... <laughs> uh, I think it's all about timing. Sometimes the same job comes back around two years later. Okay. And if you repriced it and you get it, but also it goes through growing spurts. You know, we've done some growing over the years. So when you're growing, you got to do more. You're, you're, you're taking on more. And it, we may not have got the project, but it was a relationship builder. For, for maybe a new new home builder in Palm Beach or Naples or Miami or New York. So we may not get the first three projects. But through that experience, it comes down, we're giving them white glove service from the very beginning so that they know when they do have one for us. And typically, we don't get jobs because of price a lot of times because, as you can You're probably not understand, we're never the cheapest date. Yeah. But that's also, we're not going to water down our quality and our service to accommodate a budget. Um, so yeah, that's typically why we don't get the jobs we bid. And, uh, it's painful to spend that much time bidding to not get it, but we also know going into it, there is a chance. So now we have to just use our best judgment on, we have just like anybody in any business, you have so much time in a given day and we can only produce so much, whether it's woodworking or an estimate, and we have to choose which ones we pursue. And we, we have to, um, we have the fortunate opportunity to respectfully decline bidding now and again because we have work and we know our capacity. Well, I'm also thinking that you've got a pretty impressive resume. You've been around for 30 years. People know what to expect. They don't, I can't imagine that people will come and see you or your builders or interior designers contact you expecting you to be the lowest bid. That's true. And a lot of them, they don't, like us and other trades and subs, they don't waste our, their, our time if they know that we're not the right fit for it, which I very much appreciate. I can say the jobs we do bid that we don't get, it's either a new customer that doesn't quite understand the, the pricing yet, yeah, okay. or it's an existing customer that, that is giving us a fair shake of the job and it just doesn't work out. A lot of times it can be schedule. It doesn't work out because of schedule too. So you never know. But of course, we'd like to get 100% of the jobs we bid. If we knew which ones we were going to get, we wouldn't have to bid the <laughs> other ones, but it comes with the territory. I um, I was having a drink with somebody who works with Alec, Alex Rodriguez. I bet you were. And he he goes uh, he goes Alex in his in his motivational talks will talk about the fact that he is number four in history of Major League Baseball to strike out, and he's number three in home runs. And he goes, "You're not going to hit them all. You're yeah. just not. You're going to miss them most. I mean, you're you're a Hall of Fame Hall of Famer in baseball if you if you hit the ball three out of ten times, right?" And you've got a pretty fat wallet that can afford a Thomas Riley, whatever they want. Yeah, I'd be happy to work work for him <laughs> if he, if he's cool and pays his bills. Uh, from what this guy says, he is he is an awesome person. That's good to hear. Um, so you've gone on this acquisition. What is now that you've taken over for from your dad? And how did your dad pick you to be the CEO and your brother to be the COO? Because at some point, somebody's got to pick, okay, that's your job, and the other person, that's your job. 
Well, first of all, I say that it takes two of us to fill his shoes. <laughs> Dad's shoes. Yeah. <clears throat> but we both learned from him. We, ben and I both have different strengths. And Ben was the president of the company before I was CEO. And he nominated me CEO, which is very humbling and um, a huge compliment coming from Ben, who has great taste and great vision. And I think he just knew that the CEO role was more of the kind of the the front of the house. Okay. If you broke it down in like a restaurant, I think you got the front of the house and the that service oriented, project oriented, customer oriented. Yep. The back of the house is also customer oriented as well, but there's it's things that happen behind the scenes, you know, that both are critically important. And Ben is a is an engineer and he's got an engineer's mind and he's he's learned the call it the back end of the business, which is the finance world and the the manufacturing engineering world and the blocking and tackling that it takes to do that. And he knows that I lean towards the the people side of what we do. So and he thought that I'd be a better fit. So um and that is common for the CEO to be a little more forward facing for sure. and come from sort of the maybe the service and the sales side of the world as opposed to the engineering side. The the human side instead of the technical side. Yes. Both are critically important. Um, I like, they have the whole analogy of the the kite and the string. And if it wasn't for the string, the kite would fly away. And then I think Ben and I are a good balance for each other. And and a lot of times I'm the kite and he's the string. And sometimes he's the kite and I'm the string. But we are, we are very... Uh, we have different personalities and I think we're, we're great compliments for each other, which what is what makes our partnership work very well. We all, we kind of fell into certain roles naturally mm-hmm. rather than fighting about them, which is, I think that's a blessing that probably take for granted. That makes so much sense. And it's so wise as well. I remember when I was in college, I went to school in Georgia, but I lived in Toronto and I worked for this guy that I met at the golf course and it was I was making 20, 15 bucks an hour or whatever, and this is in the 80s. It was an obscene amount. He owned a steel company. And he and, he and his partner had bought it in 1981. And you're too young for this, but 1981 was a devastating economy. And your dad would tell you it totally sucked. And interest rates stories. were 22%. So anyway, he and the accountant from their old steel company bought the company. And I go, why didn't you buy it with your brother-in-law? And they're both salespeople. He goes, because we would have sold everything and been flat broke the entire time. And it's really great to have a partnership of different personalities because you need the technical side and you need the sales side. And it's not one's better than the other or vice versa. They complement each other. So I think it's, that explains the, and it makes a lot of sense. It's worked out very well. It's a good balance. That's for sure. I'll say when, when we hit 2008, 2009, the financial crash there, Ben looked at it right away and where he has, he has great vision for protecting the company. And he said, he walked in and me and Tommy and Ben met and Ben said, we got no choice. We got to come off the payroll. We didn't, nobody knew what was going to happen. The bottom dropped out of the market. And the first thought was, what do we do to protect, to protect this place? And you're in Assuming Florida, which, is, which really got hit hard. It got nailed. It got hit hard first, and then it came back first. But for him to have that kind of vision of saying, 
guys, if we're going to ask other people to tighten their belts, we have to do it ourselves first. And so we didn't get a paycheck for six months. And ultimately, um, it says that says a lot about the culture, the company that our, our dad has maintained where we, we, uh, had, uh, payroll deductions across the board, kept everybody except for two people. And even had some people come in and say, you know, I know we took this pay cut, but is that enough? Do I need to do more to protect the family? And that was, That's that awesome. was the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard. And, but everybody got it. Part of it's because we're, we're transparent, you know, from the beginning, Tommy implemented a, a morning huddle when it was a four person company, they'd get together every morning to start the day and just to greet the morning with thanks and appreciation to be here. Be grateful. We got out of bed, happy birthday, happy anniversary, those kind of things. And we've kept that tradition in place the entire time for 30 years. You still do it today? We still do it now every Monday and Friday morning, seven o'clock sharp in the parking lot. We got a team of 70 people in a circle and um, we greet the day. And it's a great opportunity to be open because if if not, we have three different buildings. You come to work every day and you, you just go and you do your thing and you have a 70 individuals working. Maybe. I love that idea. So it's a great tool to just to be able to look everybody in the eye every morning. And it's a platform to just to keep everybody posted, not on like every thing that's going on, but the good stuff, you know, the, the roses and the thorns get talked about. Yeah. And I think that tool that he implemented just by being himself, that's why that's, that was the number one tool to keep the culture strong. And when you had people coming in asking if that was enough of a pay cut to keep us around. I think that was kind of the culmination of, okay, this is why we do it the way we do it. I mean, we do it the way we do it because he was an, he's very authentic and that was what, what Tommy, how Tommy lives, but that's why it's an important part of not just his personal life, but the business life. I'll never forget that. That was tough times too, but we made it because of everybody's efforts. So what do you take away? Do you, do you look back on those times on a regular basis and just are humbled by it and kind of keep grounded? Probably more than we realize. I think we all probably do that. Hope, hopefully. But yeah, we look back and say, God, remember, remember 2009? Cause the little things will happen now and again, you might, might have a tough job or, you know, you might have a, a delay on a project or a tough year. Cause what we do, you know, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And we'll say, well, what did we learn back then? Well, we learned we could pretty much survive anything. Yeah. Right. If, if we work, if we stay together as a team and mm-hmm. that's what we learned. And we also learned that if there's somebody that doesn't fit that mentality of whatever it takes, then they should probably find someplace else to, to make a living, you know, and everybody here, as we grow, it's a little harder to do. Um, but we'd like to hope that everybody here gets that and, but it doesn't happen automatically. You still have to teach it. But when we interview, that's the first thing we're looking for. We're feeling it out. Does this person have the whatever it takes mentality? And you might get through an interview and get a job, but it doesn't take more than a day, maximum a week for your teammates around you to come to me and say, this person doesn't fit. They're not cut for it. Yeah. They may be the best cabinet maker on the planet, but if they can't check their ego at the door and be willing to be part of a team and do whatever it takes, including pick up a broom, then it's just not the right fit. 
So I always ask, because I think it's interesting, and we all have it, where's the tipping point? Where did you go, okay, you know what, I think we got a business here. And obviously, you just answered it, because 2009, that must have been, okay, now, now this can go generations. So are you thinking about your kids? I know you're only 41, but are you thinking about, okay, I want to I play this for the long game. I'm going to put things in place for the next, the next 30 years. Well, I don't have children, but... Oh, you don't have kids? No, still practicing. All right. <laughs> what about Ben? <laughs> he doesn't either. So. No um, grandkids for but, Tommy and but your we've mom? Got, well, cut that part out. Okay. Uh, we've got a bunch of them that a lot of people counting on us to make the right decisions. And But, our, but what we do by nature is we're building you know, tomorrow's heirlooms. So our product is very permanent. And our goal would be that 300 years from now, yeah. this company exists with or without a Riley namesake involved because it's attracted people that love to build beautiful things and want that are focused more on being a master of their craft than being wealthy financially, right? Because ultimately, um, at the end of your life, what are you going to be? If you get lucky, if you get rich, that's great. But if you became a master at something, whether it's banking or hedge funding, for lack of a better term, yep. or building beautiful things, you want to be able to say, I committed to something, to being great at something. And that's what this company is full of people that we could all go anywhere else and work half as much for twice as much money. Right. But we are sad. We get richness from what we get to do. And from the clients, you just met one today that come in and say, I appreciate you guys. And that lady is and awesome. And I'm going to, amazing people. And they're, they're going to live in that environment. And you hope that that home's going to be there for hundreds of years. It's, we're still such a young country. We, we don't, it's nothing like Europe. But if you go to Europe, that's what inspires us. These are craftsmen from 500 years ago, and their work is still renowned around the world. And that's what we want to be. You've got a big responsibility having 70 people and 70 families to look after. Do you ever think of it that way? Yes, um, but not a, out of fear. It's a responsibility that, that I've um, been fortunate to get. I would also say earn. pride. Uh, yeah, there's a, definitely a pride in that. And um, w one of our mantras, I mentioned it, even though I'm a New York Giants fan, the New, York, New England Patriots, Bill Belichick said, You're, do your job. And that's why they were so successful. Uh -huh. They had great players doing their job. But my job is to be the CEO of this company. And what does that entail? That entails making decisions that are going to affect the lives of, of this entire team. And, but we don't do it alone. I mean, this is, we make big decisions together. Um, we have an unbelievable uh, team of people, you know, across the board, but also our leadership team, which is department heads. We have a, a weekly meeting every week and it's very candid. Um, so they definitely couldn't, this is not a lone man job, not just me and Ben as partners. This is a, a team. And if I were to probably overanalyze it and think, holy crap, I'm responsible for all these people, that would be difficult to sleep. But ultimately we make the final decisions, but we've just, we've intentionally built an environment that people are empowered to help us make decisions together. So it's a team effort the whole way. That helps. That helps me sleep at night. 
Well, I just look at things and I go, and you mentioned football and the Giants, their owner, incredible owner. The Jets owner, not so incredible. So here you have two football teams in the same city. And I just look at, it's the leadership and it starts at the top, whether it's Belichick and Robert Kraft in, in Boston or, and then you could look at the Chargers and the Chargers have floundered for forever. So different cultures, cultures of yeah, cultures, cultures of winning. Everything. If they're running a business and they're just looking at the bottom line, if we were just looking at this business as a bottom line business, well, number one, we'd probably be doing something else, Yeah, but it would, we would make different decisions and we'd probably be out of business. What are you most proud of? Business wise? Just what, when Matt's sitting there relaxing, you know, having a cocktail with your wife, what are you, what are you most proud of? Good question. Tough question. Well, I'm, I'm, of, I'm proud of, of, um, let me just say one thing. We, we deal with, we deal with very fortunate, affluent clients. I totally get that. That doesn't make them necessarily happy. And I'm not referring to anybody in particular. Sometimes money will drive you insane. And now your life is not better. It's worse. Yep. That's true. More happy. money, more problems. Is a, There's some truth to that. So it's when I ask people, because it's the most important thing, is what are you most proud of? And it's not, most people to me don't say my bank account. That would be on the very near the bottom <laughs> of the, the list, bottom. you know. I mean, I'm proud that we've been able to feed our families. That's for sure. So, so when it comes to the basics, um, being that work is such a big part of my life, and this is a family here, it's more than work, it's family. And yeah. I spend more time, God bless my wife for her patience, because I spend a lot more time here than I do at home. Um, but I'm, I am proud of the fact that, that she still loves me. That's for sure. Despite all that. Um, but I'm very proud at this time to have been able to give our dad the opportunity to retire and to take the business after he ran it for 28 years, take it to the next generation. And during that transition, due to years of training and, and mentoring and getting guided not just me, but a lot of us here that are second generation. Um, we, we worked hard every day and we were able to take over and he moved to North Carolina and um, we haven't skipped a beat. And I think I told you earlier that he, he said, we're moving. I'll come back. I'm going to have my office set up up there. It's going to be like, I'm never, I'm not even gone. I'll come back a week, a month and uh, I'll still be estimating whatever you need me to do. That happened one month. And then I realized, wow, he doesn't think that he needs to be here. And that was what Ben and I were supposed to do, is give him an opportunity to, to step away. He even says he doesn't have a sentimental attachment to this, but that's just his humility speaking. I think what he means is that he trusts not just us, but he trusts everybody here, that he's not, wor he's not going to bed worrying about the, the company, even though his name is on the sign. I say it's his name. He says it's his father's name. Um, he swears it is. My, he's the third, Thomas Sylvester Riley the third. Um, so at this point in my life, I'm definitely very proud of, of what me and this entire team have done to carry on the legacy that he created. So what's next? You're, you're acquiring. Just try not to screw it up. You, you, well, you've acquired some businesses in Palm Beach. Yeah, your your brother. I just met him, and and his bio is super impressive. So you're a great team. So what's 
give me five or 10 years. What's, what's your vision? What's your mission? Well, luckily, fortunately, we love what we do. And I come and work inspired every day. I mean, look at the space, you know, we get to oh, yeah, no, work around is, beautiful things. That's right? pretty awesome. So and it, and never, it must be nice to actually build something and see it installed. That's one of the most fortunate things about what we do for a living is that you, everybody here works their butts off. And then at the end, you can actually see it. It's, we are, it's art. I mean, it's artisanship. There's a difference between art and artisanship. But ultimately, because of these designers and, and builders that we get to serve and the owners, we, after 1,000 hours or 10,000 hours in a room, everybody that touched it can look at it at the end and say, wow, we did that mm-hmm. from the beginning to end. And um, that's very inspiring. I would like to keep that going for as long as possible. We have expanded the company and acquired some other businesses to help, you know, to um, continue to serve our clients. Because we, you know, we've worked hard. We've built, we've put systems in place that allow us to grow. But there is a fine line. This is, this business is only scalable so far, just like building a premium custom home in Port Royal. You can only do so many of those in the year before you start watering down your quality. And as soon as you screw one customer out of getting more than they paid for, you've lost it. Um, so the vision is partly personal is, is work-life balance. You know, what does it look like if I have more, give more time to some of the passion projects I have? And, uh, I think it's, this is still a part of that future till the end of my life, this business, but it sure would be fun to have a little shop building guitars in for fun, uh, whether it's here or whether it's shop in the backyard, but uh, you, ever, you ever heard of breed love guitars? Of course. Bend, Oregon. Yep. That's right. Their place is about a mile from where I live. That's cool. I'll come visit you. You should. We have to go there. But we have music. We're a musical family. We all play music. Ben and I. Uh, play Ben's a brilliant musician, so so implementing that we actually I should take you next door. We got a drum set and guitar set up at the shop next door now. So just having a a, a work life balance, knowing that we're creating opportunities for people to do what they love and build beautiful things. I'm I'll be happy doing this for the rest of my life. Well, I thank you for taking time today. That's this it. has we're been done? a blast. Let's talk about you, Ted. You you have to jet out of here. Yeah, I do. We had a couple more minutes. It's really been a pleasure and an honor. Um, like, like everybody in the book, we're privileged to be part of it, and we all give the better part of our lives because that's what it takes to do it. And so, just to be a couple of pages in that, and to help not just Naples but Florida, you know, elevate the level of quality to show people this is what can be done. Yeah, and you can be be uh, loving and kind while you're doing it. Yeah. Um, so that at the end, the homeowner can say, God, not only did they do beautiful work, that they, they, I want them to know how much we appreciate the opportunity they give us to put food on our table and roofs over our head, but to do some of the most beautiful things on the planet. And I couldn't think of a, a more interesting way to invest our time on a day-to-day basis. So thank you for for that opportunity. Oh, I look forward yeah. to having some tequila and wine and some laughs could, later. We, we have so much fun with you guys. When I come, I mean, obviously, it takes me a while to get here. It took me all day. I got in at 2 a.m. And to get over here, I love these people. Like, I get super personal with with our clients. And I'm going to say that Naples, best parties 
that we've seen are in Naples. You guys love to have a giggle. Yeah, nobody takes it too seriously, you know. Now, I, I, one comment in closing about our clients. I, I have a, we have a different experience being in Naples. There's something about Naples. It's a special place. And uh, a lot of clients come from New York or Chicago, and their designers are from there. They come here, have them into the office, and we get decisions made. And I'll never forget one of our New York clients, the designer said, how the hell did you get them to make all those decisions in a day? I've been working on this for a year, and I couldn't get that much done. Because when they come to Naples, they're out of their office, yep. away from the, the stress. I mean, you get into running your business there, and they're in it. And it's very difficult to just turn it off like that. But they come here, they maybe kick back, put the flip-flops on or go play golf, and yep. their mind can become clear and to where they can actually focus on the decisions that we need them to make. And that, I think, it translates to, to everybody. It's important to step back, turn it off for a minute, and let your mind be clear so you can make the wise decisions. And a lot of them, it's, what are you going to do for fun? So how do you make big decisions? Luckily, I have a partner that we make big decisions together. Um, I certainly like my personally, I like to have all the facts and the data to help say, okay. And I do a Benjamin Franklin list. What are the pluses and minuses for almost every big decision? I haven't heard that term in a few years. It's a brilliant, whether it's hiring or whatever, growing. um, And ultimately, we look at the bottom line and say, okay. And uh, if there's no risk involved, it's probably not something we should do because nothing great happens without taking some risks. So we, I get the facts in, in line. I talk to the right people that are going to be involved and who is going to be affected by this decision to get out, outside input and then let the gut take over. So that's the quote of the podcast right there. That was the meat. If there's no risk, there's no gain. That's right. No matter what you do. It's true. And there's too much risk. It's not. Yeah. The risk she took on you. (laughs) Big risk. Yeah. No, she's amazing. Anyway, you get to your next next meeting. It's been a true, real pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. This is a blast. Your shop is awesome. Let's do this again. We will do it again. We will do it again. Actually, maybe that shouldn't be recorded. Uh, No, but maybe we'll get your brother in the next one. Well, thanks for having me. Anyway, You're welcome anytime. Matt, thanks, man. It's been a pleasure, Ted. All, Thank right. You. All right. So until next time, I'm Ted Bainbridge, and this is Friends of Build Magazine. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast, And leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find everything discussed in this episode and more in our show notes below. I'm Ted Bainbridge, and you've been listening to Friends of Build Magazine podcast.